What's complicated to you? Five men screamed women. And all the men said, amen. Amen. Women are complicated. You are. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. It was boring in the Garden of Eden until God made you. The gardener man have rested since either. Nuclear physics is confusing to me. There's some of you here that can probably handle that well. I cannot. The tax code is the dumbest thing in the whole world, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, 895 pages. It's not 800. It's 8,995 pages. The Congress doesn't even know what's in the tax code. It's so ridiculous. Well, this evening in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. In fact, this is as far as you can go in 2 Corinthians without jumping into Galatians. We're going to look at the Trinity, the Trinity Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is complicated, but we're going, to try to, uh, we're going to try to understand it in about 25 minutes, hopefully. Number one, we have one God. We don't have three gods. The Bible doesn't teach there's three gods. The Bible teaches that there's one God. This is where, you know, that's a little bit confusing. It says in verse 14, may the great, by the way, this is our memory verse, so you can start thinking about that. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This does not teach that there is three gods. It doesn't teach that. We're going to try to see that this evening. In fact, we believe that there's one God in in, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 29. I'm going to use a lot of scriptures tonight, so they'll be on the screens. You can write these down for future references. Jesus was asked, what's the most important command in the law? This is one of the famous places where he said, love God and love people. But he starts and he said, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he goes in to love God and love people. That is a quote right there from Deuteronomy 6.4. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is what? He is one. In fact, Orthodox Jewish people today will recite that in morning, evening, and supper. I mean, that is the creed of, uh, of Judaism. Folks, Jewish people, Orthodox Jews who do not believe in Jesus, believe there's one God. Christians believe, Orthodox Christians believe there's one God. Muslims believe there's one God. Did you know that? Muslims believe there's one God. We, we're not polytheistic. Polytheism believes there's multiple and many gods. We believe there's one God, as do the other, some of the other major religions of the world. One supreme being, God. Now, here's where it gets a little sticky. God has made himself known in three ways. God has made himself known in three ways ways. Genesis one twenty six to me, is where it begins. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it doesn't get any, there's not a Genesis zero, so this is the first chapter. Then God said, let, read that first part, let who? Us make man in our own image. He wasn't talking to angels. He wasn't talking to crocodiles. He was talking to, I believe, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us, plural, make man in our own image, in our own likeness. Now, folks, this right here is where you really get to some separations. I want to show you a picture. When Cindy and I were in Nazareth, and Nazareth is the place where Jesus Christ was what? 
He was raised, yes. Now, I can't, I can't get into my phone. I, I, you can't read that. It's too, uh, it's too blurry. Maybe I can read it to you from there. This is in Nazareth. This is the home place of Jesus. And Cindy's taking this picture, and I think we're going to be killed right here in Nazareth because someone's going to come out and jihad us because she's taking a picture of this. Here's, here's what some Muslim people had put up. It says, O people of the Scripture, in parentheses, Christians, do not exceed the limits in your religion. Say nothing but the truth about Allah, the one true God. The Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, was only a messenger of God and his word conveyed to Mary and a spirit created by him. So believe in God and his messengers and do not say that three God trinities. Cease it. It will be better for you. Indeed, Allah is the one and the true, the one only God. His holiness is far above a son. How many of you understand that's uh, a little bit different than what we believe here at First Baptist Ruston? And how many of you believe there was a not-so-veiled threat in that, too? I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty clear to me. Uh, when you talk about there being one God, we agree. When you talk about God making himself known in three ways that we've done, we, we find separation. And this is a crucial issue, as you saw. I mean, you might get, you might get jihaded for your belief in this someday. You know, you really, you really may. Also, a wrong belief about Jesus Christ will lead you to hell. Do you know that? Wrong belief about Jesus will lead you to hell. So this is pretty crucial. One God made himself known in three ways. Let's talk about this. First, we have God the Father. God the Father. The creator God we know of the Old Testament specifically. In verse 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. The word God here is theos. It means the supreme divinity, the exceeding God. And we agree with that, don't we? That we have a wonderful God. Again, Major groups, Judaism, Muslims, Christians agree that we have a being we call God. And we clearly see this aspect of the Godhead in the Old Testament, don't we? We clearly, clearly see that. But here's the second thing where the separation begins. We believe not only in God the Father, but God the Son. God the Son. Jewish people do not believe that. Orthodox Jewish people today do not believe Jesus is the Son of God. And friend, you're not going to heaven because you're a Jew. You're going to heaven because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't ever misread passages in the New Testament to think Jewish people are going to heaven because they're Jewish. Jesus talked to almost exclusively Jewish people telling them that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Are you following me? We all come to Jesus, the heaven, and God through the same person. Jews don't believe in Jesus, not the, that he's God. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, a good man, a good prophet, not equal to Muhammad, but a good prophet. Buddhists believe in Jesus. They just believe that he's inferior to Buddha. Jehovah Witnesses is a religious group. They would, I would, some people, I think, would say, you know, they're Christians. They don't believe that Jesus is God. John 1 1 is a crucial passage. Read this out loud with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. 
Brian, leave that there. Leave that there for a minute. Do you, you see what that's saying? The word, and the word is Jesus Christ here. The Jehovah Witness have a Bible, tr- Bible translation. I believe it's a, it's a corrupt translation called the New World Translation. I have one in my office. You can come by and I'll let you look at it any time. So you won't think I'm making this up. But here's how they translate John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a small g-o-d. Do you see something horribly wrong in that? Folks, Jesus wasn't a little g-o-d. It says Jesus, that means, was face-to-face and equal with the Father. That's exactly what that means there. Now, folks, that is tremendously profound and important. In verse 14, it says, By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord means ruler or master. It means the supreme authority. Now, this is a little complicated. I've I've taught this before, but this is very important. Remember, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. Greek was the common language in Jesus' day, and they took the Hebrew Old Testament and they translated it to Greek. It's called the Septuagint. How many of you have heard of the Septuagint before? In the Septuagint, the Greek, in the New Testament, the Greek, the word Lord is kuros, and it is used in the Old Testament, kuros, to talk about God the Father. And so when the New Testament writers say Jesus Christ is kuros, do you follow me what they're saying about them? They're saying he's Lord, he's master, he's ruler, and he is God. Folks, here's what I'm basing eternity on. I'm going to profess it to you tonight. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is Chris Craig's Lord. You're not going to heaven without that profession, that sincere profession. Bible says Jesus is the Son of God, John 3, 16. We know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Now listen, some groups say Jesus was a Son of God. Jesus wasn't a Son of God. He is uniquely the Son of God. Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. How can you be God and the Son of God? I don't know. Get to heaven and we'll figure that out there. Amen? But Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. But John 1, 1 just told us he is God. John 14, 8 and 9, listen to what it says. Philip said, Lord Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Read that out loud with me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Philippians 2, verse 5 and 6. Again, you can write these references down. I know I'm using a lot. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, who? God did not consider equality with something, uh, equality with God as something to be grasped. In other words, he was willing to lay down his, his rights in heaven to come to earth. And Colossians chapter 1, verse five, 15 and 16, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven on earth, visible and invisible. 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him in verse 19 of the same chapter. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son. Now, folks, I don't know about you. I want to be honest with you. This fires me up. That's good stuff, isn't it? And, and, and you, want, you want some theology? You want some stuff that's good for your brain and good for your heart? This is it right here. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and Jesus Christ is God. So we have the Father, and we have the Son. Now we have the Holy Spirit. We have God, the Holy Spirit. Jewish people, a lot of times in Jesus' day, believed the Holy Spirit was, a, was divine, but it's kind of a divine prophetic voice. When I was growing up, we referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. I'm going to be honest with you. That was pretty scary as a kid. Pray Grandmama gets the Holy Ghost. Well, why? I don't want Grandmama to get a ghost. You know, maybe get a mole removed or something, but not a, good, a ghost. That's scary. The King James makes a translation slip up in a place or two where it refers to the Holy Spirit as it. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal being. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not it. You following me? I mean, if Jennifer Breeding refers to Neil, well, it's coming home from work soon, they probably have marital problems, amen? If, if she says that, that's not healthy at, at all. Neil is not an it, and neither is the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In John 14, verse 16 through 18, as you can see, John 14 is a great chapter of theology, Jesus is telling the guys he's leaving. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him, this Holy Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, folks, here's, here's literally what he's saying. Jesus was telling the guys, he's saying, I'm leaving and going back to heaven. That had to be terribly heartbreaking, didn't it? I mean, they, they'd given their lives to him. They'd followed him. They didn't understand it. All they knew is now they're hearing is that he's leaving. He says, look, guys, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send somebody. And here's, here's the, how, it, how it plays out. He said, I'm sending someone exactly like me to be with you. You follow me on that? Jesus said, I'm sending someone of the very same nature and character to be with you. I had a wonderful theology teacher in seminary, a guy named Bert Dominey. He was wonderful for two reasons. One, I had him in a, on a Monday night class, and it was from 6 to 8. He'd let us out at 7.30 because of Monday night football. And any professor that lets you out early in a night class is a great guy, correct? But he was also a very, very good theologian. And he used to say, boys and ladies, he said to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Jesus Christ. To be filled with Jesus Christ is to be filled with God. To be controlled by the Holy Spirit is to be controlled by Jesus. To be controlled by Jesus is to be controlled by the Father. They are three and they are one. The Holy Spirit is is God. Now, I want to I share with you some things that I think really are important. 
And it might even be worth you, if you've, you've got a, a side of you that likes to do a little more study, the earliest Christian creeds, what they say about the Trinity, the earliest Christian creed was the Apostles' Creed. How many of you know the Apostles' Creed? You've heard it. A lot of mainline churches, they still re- re- recite some of these creeds. It, the Apostles' Creed was formulated uh, 200 years, 150, 200 years after Christ's death, resurrection. Then there was the Nicene Creed that was in about 325 uh, A.D. And then there was the uh, Athanasian Creed, which was about 500 A.D., so several hundred years after Jesus, but, but still pretty close to Jesus' time. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Nicene Creed gets a little more detailed because they're beginning to deal with heresies. And says, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God. Did you get that? We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Did you get that? The giver of life who proceeds from the Father and Son. With the Father and Son, he is worshipped and glorified. And this Athanasian Creed was really driving this home. It's, it's almost obnoxious. It keeps going over and over and over. I'll share a little bit uh, with you. It says that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the person nor dividing the substance. This is theologians talking, isn't it? For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. There are not three almighties, but one almighties. And it goes on and on and on. But you get the drift of what they're trying to communicate there. That the Trinity, folks, is not just some modern-day invention of Christianity. It's the backbone of Christianity. It it is the backbone of what we believe. That we have one God who's made himself known in three ways. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to embrace the Trinity. I'll explain. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Number one, embrace it intellectually. Judaism doesn't. Mormonism doesn't. Jehovah Witnesses don't. Muslims don't. Certain sects of even mainline Christianity have strange beliefs about the Trinity. Have any of you ever heard of what's called the oneness doctrine? Are you familiar with the oneness doctrine? The oneness people believe that we just have Jesus. Just Jesus. Baptized in the name of Jesus. We just have Jesus. Well, I have Jesus, but I also have a Father and a Spirit. Amen? And, you know, you go, well, what does this matter? This is just preacher talk. No, it's not. You could die for your beliefs on this. You could die for it. This is huge. This is really important. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of who? Romans 8, 9 is a sneaky little verse. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by who? The Spirit. If the Spirit of who? God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of who? 
He does not belong to Christ. Did you see that? Isn't that pretty neat there how you see uh, the mix there? And let's jump to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. You see it here too. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in the Holy Spirit with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing inheritance until the day of redemption, who are God's possession to the praise of the glory of the Father. There's one body. You go to Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 6. One spirit, just as you were called to one hope, and you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism. In verse 6, one God, one Father, who's over all and through all and all. Is that it? Folks, intellectually, academically, you're never going to understand fully the Trinity. I've heard it explained in a lot of ways. Well, you, you take water. Water can be different substances. It can be a liquid. It can be a solid. It can be steam, and it's the same thing. Andy Johnson is a friend. He's a father. He's a grandfather. He's a great-grandfather. He's a great-great. No, he's not a great-great. He's a husband. He's a son. He's a brother. We can't understand the Trinity, but we embrace it intellectually. But here's the last part that I think is really important. Let's embrace it intimately. You, You know, it's hard to imagine because this is such a theological interesting and difficult thing but this little verse 14 was really meant meant to be something that impacted their lives not just their heads Corinth was a difficult church they quarreled they were jealous they were disloyal they were egotistical they were sinful Certainly, if a church is that way, it's because its people are that way and that people were struggling. And here's what he told them, folks. He said, listen, may the grace, the undeserved mercy and favor of Jesus Christ and the love, and that's the word agape, the unconditional love of God and the fellowship, that's a beautiful word that means just a sweet-spirited oneness be in your midst. Find these things and embrace them. We need to, as a church, we need to embrace the Trinity. As an individual, you need to embrace the the Godhead and the different aspects that the Godhead brings to your life. I read something this week that I thought was pretty neat about the Son. You know, people don't understand the Trinity, so they either stay away from it or they don't embrace it. This guy wrote about the Son, he said that they tell me that the core of the sun, the temperature, is 27 million degrees. That's pretty toasty. The pressure is 340 billion times what it is here on earth. And in the sun's core, that insanely hot temperature and unthinkable pressure combine to create nuclear reactions. In each reaction, four protons fuse together to create one alpha particle, which is 0.7% less massive than the four protons. That makes sense, doesn't it? The difference in mass is expelled as energy, and after one million years through a process called convection, this energy from the core of the sun finally reaches the surface where it expels heat and light. And you need to understand none of that to get a suntan. (laughs) 
You don't have to understand the Trinity. But what he's saying here is embrace it. I want you to think about this tonight. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian. Because God the Father loved you enough to send God the Son to earth for you. And God the Son died on that cross for you and walked out of the tomb for you. And then God the Holy Spirit began to woo you and to work into your heart to pull you to Jesus Christ, didn't he? And then you bowed your knee to God the Son, Jesus Christ. You following me? And when you bowed your son to God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, then God the Father became your personal Father, and God the Holy Spirit came to live in you. That may be a little bit too much, but that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. You see, the Trinity's been working in your life to get you to where you are this evening. Embrace the truth of Scripture, but don't just embrace it here, embrace it here. And he says, let the grace of Jesus and the agape love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit transform us. This evening, if you're not a Christian, the God, the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart. If you're listening, respond to him tonight when we give our invitation. Maybe tonight you'd like to join our church fellowship. We would love for you to if God's leading you to do that. One way you can do that is when we stand. Come tonight. We'll be down here waiting on you. If you're a Christian, maybe where you're standing or maybe at the altar, you need to say to the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit to have your life, to control it, and to let you bring glory to them the rest of your days here on this earth. Let's stand. Wayne's going to lead us in a... Hymn of invitation, and as we sing, you come.